Warning. The following program contains the testimony of real Christians experiencing trials and tribulations. It could change your life. Welcome to the Firefly Report, showing how God works in people's lives. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 21 of the Firefly Report. We feel this is the only place that you can find real Christian people with real-life stories discussing how God is working in their lives. We broadcast each and every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at thefireflyreport.com, and you can download all of our shows for free on iTunes. I hope everyone had a very Merry Christmas, and I hope you're looking forward to a new, fresh, exciting 2015 in which we can all grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This week, when praying and contemplating about what I wanted to do this episode on, unfortunately, my family and I have been spending some time visiting loved ones in the hospital. And as we've spent quite some time in the hospital, I can't help but ponder and think about the subject of death, the afterlife, and all the souls and individuals in the hospital and hospitals across the world that are facing death and whether they're saved individuals, whether they're lost individuals, whether the relatives of the individuals are saved or lost. And upon thinking about those individuals all throughout the world, I felt it was necessary to bring you an episode on the subject of death, just exactly what death is, what the ramifications of death are, and how, as Christians, Jesus Christ conquered death for us so that death no longer hath dominion over us. So, during this episode tonight, I wanted to discuss the topic of death and its biblical ramifications. But also to those listening to this show tonight who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And for those Christians listening to this show who have loved ones who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I wanted to give you some Christian apologetic tools for having open discussions with individuals who are adamantly opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you have people like that in your life, maybe they're facing illnesses currently, maybe not. Maybe everything's okay in their life currently, except the fact that they're living a life apart from Jesus Christ. Hopefully this episode tonight will give you the tools where you can open up a dialogue with those individuals, where you can understand where they're coming from. But through the information shared with you tonight through this episode, maybe it'll give you the courage to go out and have a loving conversation with that individual who you, thought, who you maybe think is unreachable at this point. Because one thing's for certain. And that one thing is, death is coming for all of us sooner or later. We don't know the day, the time, or the hour. Most of us think we know. Most of us that are young think we'll live forever. 
But no one knows for certain when our time is up on this earth except God himself. And every day that we live, we must be spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ with our friends, with our family, and with those individuals in countless number across the world, across our country, in our very community that are hurting so bad that they've turned their backs on Jesus Christ. So with all that being said, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come to you now, Lord, just asking, Father, that the word shared in this episode tonight might win souls for Jesus, Lord. All of us have someone that we know, Father, that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior. And tonight, Father, we pray for those individuals. We pray, Father, that we might be able to break through anything that's holding them back from understanding your power, your love, your grace, and their need to know you as their personal Savior in their lives. This world's done a masterful job of creating walls and barriers that prevent us, Father, from growing in you. May the knowledge and information shared tonight in this episode tear down those walls. And may we all have the strength and courage to win those to Jesus Christ that so desperately need his salvation. And it's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. As you heard in that prayer, the purpose of this episode is sharing the gospel with people that need to hear it. And I just ask that if you know anyone in your life that needs to hear this message, please just let them listen to this episode. Point them to the Firefly Report. We're here to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world. Everything on our site's free. And who knows, maybe one of the episodes that we've already had, maybe this very episode tonight, is the one thing that's going to be the catalyst to turn someone back to Jesus Christ. We live in a world that's hurting. We live in a world where each and every day, countless souls are being lost, dying, apart from Jesus Christ. Now is the time to change all of that for the ones that you know in your life. And maybe you're holding the keys to making that happen. So sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 21, Defeating Death. Death, a word and subject matter that permeates the very recesses of our subconsciousness, a subject that immediately invokes fear, it invokes 
anxiety, it invokes the unknown, yet something that we all must face at some point in our journey that we call life. The Webster's Dictionary defines death as a permanent cessation of all vital functions, the end of life. But why must we face it? Why is it something that we all must experience at some point in our lives? To understand this, we must go back to Genesis and take a look at the account in Genesis of man's fall. And to do that, we're going to go to Genesis 3, verses 19 through 23. And we're going to pick this scripture up under the context of Adam and Eve just committing the sin, God just directing the punishment of Eve, and now turning to Adam and telling Adam what punishment he must face as man. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden, to till the ground from which he was taken. From this passage we see that the punishment of our sinful nature is for all of us to die. For all have fallen short and sinned except Jesus Christ. And we see that initially it wasn't God's intention when he created man to have man die in this manner. But as part of that curse, through the sin that man had committed, through eating of the tree of knowledge, and obtaining knowledge through that sin, that man had therefore been assigned and appointed a time to die. And it's through this event in human history that the progression of man's relationship with God and the enmity created through sin led to God establishing his covenant with Abraham and God giving Moses the Ten Commandments and establishing the law that pointed out sin and man's requirement to adhere to that law in order to stay in favor with God and in relationship with God. And for those of you familiar with the Old Testament, before the coming of Christ, you're familiar with the need of sacrifice, as was started after Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden of Eden. And you're familiar with the need for men to find a way to atone for the sins in their life before God. But the problem was that men could never uphold God's standard of righteousness because only God is righteous. And because men could not hold to that standard due to their sinful nature, due to their wickedness, and their inability to behave in a manner that God deemed them to behave, because of their knowledge of good and evil, God had to continually judge his people. And it broke his heart because he loves us. And I think that's a concept that many of us today struggle with understanding due to all the evil that we see in the world. But I'm going to get into that a little bit later when I discuss Christian apologetics. But for now, we're stuck on this subject of death. And it was through our failure as human beings to please God with our actions and to fall under the judgment and accusation of our actions that God knew that we would be forever falling under his hand of judgment based on how things were playing out on earth with Satan, the great accuser, 
continually calling before God all of our transgressions. As a God of law and as a righteous God, he had no choice but to enact judgment upon us. So therefore, in the ultimate sacrifice, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, a man who knew no sin to this earth, to live, preach, and teach God's will for mankind, who was then sacrificed for all sinners to atone for their sin only if they were willing to accept his sacrifice, only if they were willing to accept that he is God himself and accept the blood of his sacrifice for their sins and believing and trusting in him and his teachings. And it was through that that the power of death and the chains of sin were broken. And Paul spoke of how Jesus removed the power of sin and death through his sacrifice in Romans. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 21. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Therefore, just through one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was the type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offering many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Before Christ, Satan could accuse us of our sins before God by holding us to the standard of the law of Moses. Christ broke those chains by becoming the first truly righteous man in the flesh and sacrificing himself, God in the flesh, for sinful mankind. Satan could not accuse Christ before God because Christ never sinned. The laws set forth by God have been upheld 
and Satan had lost all authority to take the souls of men and women who trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But without accepting Jesus Christ, man is still subjected to the judgment for sin in his or her life. Death still has power over them. And as you hear the words of that description, of that passage that we just read, it's important to take note of the importance of Jesus Christ and accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because when you do that, death has no power over you. We've already read that death must come to us all at some point in time in our lives, because it's appointed to us to die due to our sinful nature and due to the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. But as we just heard from the pen of Paul, death holds no power over us thanks to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. While it may seem scary, while it may make us anxious, we must hold on to the promises of Jesus Christ when faced with death in our lives. Dr. Erwin Lutzer wrote the book One Minute After You Die, and I would just like to read a brief excerpt from that book with regards to how one can approach the subject of death in the believer's life and help cope with that. Sleep is used as a picture of death in the New Testament because the body sleeps until the day of resurrection, not the soul. Sleep is used as a picture of death because it is a means of rejuvenation. We look forward to sleep when we feel exhausted and our work is done. Furthermore, we do not fear falling asleep, for we have the assurance that we shall awaken in the morning. We have proved a thousand times that daylight will come. The difference, of course, is that we have never had the experience of death, so we aren't sure exactly what it will be like to awaken in eternity. But of this we can be certain. Those who die in the Lord need not fear the unknown, for they fall asleep to awaken in the arms of God. It is difficult to fall asleep when you are not tired. Just so, those of us who enjoy good health, a fulfilling vocation, and a wholesome family life do not look forward to falling asleep in Jesus. But the day will come when it will no longer be our choice. We will have to obey our summons. If we should live long enough to be weary of life, falling asleep will be more inviting. Indeed, many of the saints look forward with increasing joy to the day of their final rest. The book of Revelation describes those who follow the beast, Antichrist, as those who have no rest day or night, Revelation 14.11. But as for those who belong to the Lord, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Verse 13. Believers find their death to be the joyous rest of fulfillment, and their deeds follow after them, never to be lost in the annals of eternity. Like a pebble thrown into a pool whose ripples continue in ever-widening circles, so the deeds of the godly will reverberate for all of eternity. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. When we hear those words so eloquently written by Dr. Erwin Lutzer, we can take hope that there is comfort, a peace that passeth all understanding when we die in the Lord. But what about those who reject or deny Jesus? The next few moments I want to discuss some Christian apologetics for arguments against those that deny Jesus and Christian theology. And in order for us to have this discussion, 
As a former skeptic, I think it's important to point out what those problems are. And if you've read my book, Finding Faith, 10 Things I Learned During Tribulation, you'll understand some of this that I'm getting ready to point out, because at one point or another, I did hold some of these viewpoints myself. Because in this modern age, an age in which knowledge abounds and education is at the forefront of youth in America, and in the world for that matter, I think it's important as Christians to understand why people hold the viewpoints that they do. And oftentimes, people who are atheists and agnostics are met with great vitriol or angst from the Christian community. But if we don't understand where they're coming from and why they believe what they believe, we can't possibly have a dialogue or conversation with those individuals without it turning into a shouting match or without it turning into a conversation where one or both parties just completely shuts down and ignores the others, whatever the other one's saying, despite the validity of their arguments. So we must first understand the problems that Christianity faces in this modern world in which we're living in. For me, problem number one is the evil in the world. To step out of my Christian worldview for a moment and to place myself into the worldview of the atheist. When they look at evil and the problem of evil, they ask the question, the rational question, of how could God allow evil to happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why are children molested? Why are children kidnapped and killed? Why are groups like ISIS allowed to flourish in the Middle East, cutting people in half, cutting people's heads off, pillaging villages? Why is war at the forefront of every corner that we look of the globe? Why do children die of cancer? Why do earthquakes and tsunamis happen? Why do planes crash? Why did 9-11 take place? See, all those things are evil and they're real and they're evidence of evil in the world. And to the atheistic or agnostic mind, one sees that evil, which cannot be denied because it's there, and they make the assumption and judgment that God can't exist, or if he does exist, then he's malevolent because he allows those things to occur. So in the atheistic mind, that's, that's problem number one. But unfortunately today, in the modern world, there's more problems than that, and the rest stem, actually, believe it or not, from the church. Because problem number two is, is hypocrisy in the church. And while there's always been hypocrisy, there's growing hypocrisy today and to other reasons that we'll get into in a moment. But when the said atheist meets a Christian who proclaims to be a Christian but's living a life of sin, they take due note of the hypocrisy. And that hypocrisy is a great turnoff to believing in God because they say, well, if this person doesn't even follow the teachings of what they say they believe in, then why should I even bother wasting my time trying to adhere to those standards that that individual doesn't even keep themselves? And there you have problem number two. Problem number three is the ignorance of Christians who don't study God's word. The atheist attempts to engage a Christian in dialogue, and the Christian doesn't have the biblical understanding to rebut their claims. For example, if they ask them, why does evil exist? The uneducated Christian would just say, because Satan exists. Then the atheist will come back, well, why doesn't God just defeat Satan? And the Christian's uneducated Christian's response is, well, he will one day. 
but that doesn't solve the resolution of why evil is running rampant today. And then we come to what I feel is probably the most glaring problem of modern Christianity today. And it's powerless Christians who live in sin and deny God's power. And I can't think of a more fitting description of this topic and this problem than what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5. through 5. And I've made that the forefront, and I even have this quote up on the homepage of the Firefly Report. Because to me, this is the driving force of what is wrong and why we're seeing the falling away of Christians and churches in the world today. So let me read those verses for you now. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. When I hear that passage of scripture, it sends chills down my spine, because if that doesn't describe modern Christianity today, I don't know what does. And people wonder why they feel so depressed in life. And I'm talking about Christians here, because this passage was written to Christians. This passage wasn't written, remember, in the letters to Timothy. Paul's addressing Timothy and the church, and Timothy was the leader of that church. So this was addressed to the followers and believers in that church, warning them and Timothy of what was to come in the last days. So as we hear these words and we see them playing out before our very eyes today, we can be assured that we're living in the last days. But with regards to problem four, when Christians live in sin, when Christians take on the characteristics described by 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, we lose the ability to wield the power of God in our lives. How can we have an impact on non-believers, on atheists, on agnostic individuals, when we don't possess the power of God and display the power of God in our own lives? If we're busy being wrapped up in sin, if we're busy living lives of lawlessness, of secret sin, we're quenching the ability of the Holy Spirit to work through us. We're quenching the ability to show the power of God and allow the power of God to work through us, through witnessing, through starting ministries, to reach other people, through evangelizing the world. And when we add up problems one through four together, we can see that who is to defend the gospel? Who is to have an intellectual argument against atheism and show the error of that way of thought if we ourselves can't clean up our own house and live the lives that we're biblically supposed to live to be able to represent Christ and show God's power through us, through our lives? So the question I have for you is, why would any intellectual individual want to buy into Christianity if so many of us so many of us can't explain those four problems to the intellectual's mindset. Well, fortunately, in the past there have been some intellectuals to come along to offer some quality apologetics and to offer some of their own living examples 
of how an intellectual can buy into Christianity in this modern age. One such example is C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis witnessed his mother dying at the age of nine. And because he witnessed his mother suffering when she died at such a young age, and he was such a young boy witnessing that suffering, he rejected Christianity. And I think for a lot of us in the world today, and I know this was the case in my own life, in witnessing my mother suffer with brain cancer, it's tough to accept Christianity. And it's tough to trust in God when the unlogical becomes logical, when the unrational becomes real, when life doesn't make sense anymore, when the rules that we thought should govern the world, when the rules that we thought God operated by, our worldviews are flipped upside down, it becomes easy to turn on our Creator. And in a sense, this is what C.S. Lewis did because of what he experienced. After his mother's death, C.S. Lewis turned to education. He was already a bright kid, but he wanted to push himself even more. He became an atheist because he had to completely reject a god that would kill his mother at such a young age. He studied at Oxford, and his intellect grew. He sought hard to disprove Christianity. In fact, in his book Mere Christianity, he wrote about these struggles and how he tried in all his power to reject Christianity, to disprove Christianity, to point out that Christianity was full of fallacies. But guess what happened? Through his pursuit, logically, philosophically, to deny Christianity, to prove that it was a falsehood, through his pursuit for all those things, he actually ended up finding God at the age 30. And he found God at the age of 30 because through all his searches for the truth against Christianity, he found that there were no holes. There were no fallacies. The Bible was an inerrant document. And that everything that he had hated, he had hated out of his own experiences and the hurt and pain and the loss of his mother. And to point out one of his great quotes from the book Mere Christianity, and C.S. Lewis wrote other great books also, and if any of you have someone in your life who doesn't believe in God, or who is strongly opposed to their belief in God, I highly recommend that you give them some books from C.S. Lewis on the subject of Christianity. Because what better way to explain to an intellectual about the truthfulness of God than someone who once was one of them, but whose heart changed, and they can logically explain the importance of finding God and rejecting atheism and agnosticism. But now I want to read a quote from Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis's book, that points to a pivotal argument during his journey to find Christianity. My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust, but how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? If the whole show was bad and senseless from A to Z, so to speak, why did I, who was supposed to be part of the show, find myself in such a violent reaction against it? Of course I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but a private idea of my own. But if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too. For the argument depended on saying the world was really unjust, 
not simply that it did not happen to please my fancies. Thus, in the very act of trying to prove that God did not exist, in other words, that the whole of reality was senseless, I found I was forced to assume that one part of reality, namely my idea of justice, was full of sense. If the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning. Just as, if there was no light in the universe and therefore no creatures with eyes, we should never have known it was dark. Dark would be without meaning. For those of you hearing this episode tonight that are denying God's existence, why do you deny? Has something happened to you in your life? Do biblical standards go against your way of life? Have you made mistakes and feel that God can never forgive you? You see, all of these things that I've just described are the tools that the devil uses to make you hate God. Because what you need to understand is there's no one in the world who hates God more than Satan himself. Satan challenged God. God defeated him by casting him out of heaven. And ever since that moment in time, Satan's been on a mission to take as many people with him to hell as he possibly can. And it's important for you to understand tonight that Satan has nothing to lose by making people believe that God doesn't exist. But if you don't have Jesus Christ in your heart and life, and if you don't trust in him as your personal Lord and Savior and live for him and repent of your sin and turn back to him, then you have everything to lose tonight. Because none of us are promised tomorrow. As the subject of this episode has been death, if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, then death does have power over you. But the good news is, if you're willing to accept that you're human, if you're willing to put aside all that anger that you hold in your heart towards God, maybe your parent has cancer too. Maybe your husband or wife left you. Maybe you lost a child. Maybe you lost a parent. Maybe you were abused as a child. Maybe you were a victim of some horrific crime. And that's why you hate God. Trace that hatred back to the sin that was behind it. And realize that it wasn't God that did that to you. It was man. And if it wasn't man that did that to you, it was the sinful nature of man that caused it to happen. Because when we talk about the problem of evil in the world, to understand the problem of evil, we must understand that man and angelic beings have free will when they were created. Just like Satan decided to rebel against God and reject God's commandments and turn from God and become God's adversary, humans had the same opportunity and choice. Adam and Eve were told not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Yet they made the choice to eat. And when they made that choice, man was cursed. Now you may say, well, that's not fair. I'm not Adam, I'm not Eve. And for that argument, you're right. But while it may not be fair in our own earthly way of thinking, it's truly righteous. Because God created us in his image. And when we ate of that fruit, when our ancestors ate of that fruit of that tree, instantly we knew the difference between good and evil. And just as God said back in Genesis 3, had man decided to eat of the tree of life, guess what? We wouldn't die. We'd be just like him. We'd be just like God and angels. 
So therefore we were cursed. We were cursed to die. And while it broke God's heart to place that curse on us, it had to happen. But fortunately, the curse of death was broken through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. And if you're listening to this tonight, and you've allowed something that's happened in your life to anger you to the point of rejecting Jesus, I humbly beg you and plead of you, search your heart and soul for the truth. Put away all emotion, put away all anger, put away all the failures that you've witnessed of modern Christians, put away everything that turns you off towards Christianity, and simply search and pray for truth. Because men fail, Christians fail, evil exists, but you only get one life. Only you are in control of that one life. And the beautiful thing about it is our God, Jesus Christ, is a forgiving God. And though you may have screwed your life up royally up until this point, you now have the ability to remedy it. You now have the ability to repent. You now have the ability to make the smartest choice you will ever make in your entire life by turning back to Jesus Christ. And when you accept him, we'll all be reunited one day again in heaven. And I can promise you, no one will rejoice more in your turning to Christ than God himself. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope this episode touched your heart. I hope this episode is going to tear down walls and barriers between friends and family whose worldviews are polar opposites of each other with regards to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I hope that the words that you, the listener, heard tonight will cause you to draw close to the only hope for your salvation, and that's trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Despite what our current culture tells you, despite what the universities teach you, despite what the media portrays, as C.S. Lewis so eloquently showed us, it is possible to be an intellectual and bow down and serve Jesus Christ. And for those of us listening tonight who are facing death in the future, let us hold on to the truth that when we've given our final breath in this life, if we know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, a world awaits us in our next conscious thought that we can't possibly imagine the splendor and the beauty and the glorious life we will get to experience with Jesus Christ in heaven. That's our hope, folks. That's our future. And despite what terrible things may come our way on the horizon in 2015, we can hold on to the truth and the fact in knowing that regardless of what happens in this life, our resurrected bodies and our life in heaven will be more wonderful than we can possibly comprehend. Thank you for listening tonight. 
If you have a testimony that you wish to share through the Firefly Report, please go to www.thefireflyreport.com. Click on the Share My Testimony link. We would love to contact you and discuss the possibility of interviewing you for an episode. No one's testimony is unimportant. You never know what you could share that could change the life of someone else out there. If you're feeling led to do that, trust that it's the Holy Spirit guiding you to do that. Because you never know the impact, the ripple effect that it could have. Thank you for listening tonight. Good night. And God bless. If you would like more information on how you can share your testimony on the Firefly Report, visit www.thefireflyreport.com and click on the link entitled, Share My Testimony. We would love to hear from you and talk with you about how God's working in your life.